Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode's interview is with Nicole Imorlika and is produced in cooperation with Vivolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to this episode of Robots in Depth. Today we're going to have some slightly different content, but I love all this stuff. So we're going to talk to Nicole Imerlika from Microsoft Research about game theory. Uh, and I'm so fortunate that I get to go uh, around the world and talk to all these fantastically interesting people. But we're going to start where we usually start. How did you get into the field? What's the first step of your journey that eventually put you here? Well, uh, I, you know, I wanted to do physics when I was in high school, actually. Um, and so I went to, to MIT for undergrad and I was pursuing physics and mathematics and uh, my parents thought that maybe it would be good to have a better, more reliable career path so they encouraged me to pursue computer science um, and I loved it uh, but I always wanted more of a human element especially as I got older so as I went to grad school I was looking for a uh, way to relate my research to society and to use it to help me understand the world around me. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up taking a class, we were able to cross-register at Harvard, so I took mm -hmm. a class at Harvard with Al Roth, mm -hmm. who's an economist that won the Nobel Prize recently here. Not a bad teacher, In Stockholm, right? I guess, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're actually <laughs> in Stockholm. So. This time you're not visiting Stockholm for the same reason he did, but I'm sure that's going to happen in the future, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, uh, well, we'll see. But uh, so he talked about, you know, ma market design and mm -hmm. um, using mathematics to model human behavior and predict how humans will behave in the context of a market and then how you could set up the rules of the market to optimize uh, the outcomes that are, that happen naturally and that was just fascinating so I, I got I got into it through that course yeah and we're talking every kind of market right it can be interhuman relations it can be pork bellies it can it doesn't necessarily have to be what we traditionally see as a market right oh yeah for sure so mm -hmm. I mean he's famous for doing kidney exchange markets mm -hmm. um, in that course I studied uh, labor markets where you match medical residents to employers mm -hmm. but also in my uh, research later on I started looking at social networks networks and sort of the market for information, how does information spread in a social network. So yeah, mar market is a very broad term and it mm. basically encompasses anything that we do that in which we interact with one another. Mm -hmm. So it, it, mar the market is kind of a definition of an area where, where intelligent agents interact, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. They might not also not be human, they can be machines, right? They can definitely be machines, and I guess you know I'm I'm here at uh, this conference, which is an AI conference. Although mm. my background is mostly theory, mm. but I think the reason that this uh, they invited me to speak here is because they're interested in how machines and humans interact, and you can use a lot of the same reasoning about how humans interact with other humans to predict how they would interact with machines as well. Yeah, and this is of course essential if we're supposed to design and build both artificial intelligence systems and artificial intelligent robots, we have to interact with them and we have to design the robot to adapt to the human, but we also have to educate the human to be able to interact with the robot. Eh? Yeah, so I think there's an important element of design uh, in the sense of like, we have to make the systems uh, sensible to the humans such that their natural perceptions mm -hmm. are, uh, enable them to optimize their actions. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So it has, it has to be something that a human can understand. Mm. Uh, and there's, there's definitely that factor when mm. we design machines for humans mm. to interact with. But that even exists in more traditional markets. Mm. So, you know, you can think about, uh, say, an auction design. How, how does the interface look to the human? So at Microsoft, for example, we're building ad auctions, right? Mm. And we have to think about how to write the software such that the uh, way that you would optimally bid on different keywords in the ad auction makes mm. sense to the person who's doing the bidding. So that, that optimizes their experience and, and, and then of course the, the total, uh, the whole thing of running this auction platform is optimized, right? Yeah, so mm. it's very important to optimize their experience because mm. The platform, you know, at the end, we eventually model the human behavior mathematically, mm. uh, but that model is accurate only if the humans completely understand what's going on. Mm. So that, that's mm. why it's important to optimize their experience. Mm. It's kind of a, a very advanced user interface design, you can say. It is, yes. Yeah. And sure. without a good user interface, the customer will misunderstand or misinterpret and therefore use the service, uh, won't use the service optimally and uh, the outcome would be less than, than great, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 So you use it in that context. Have you also seen other uses of, of, of so-called game theory in, in practice? This is a very concrete thing. Hundreds of thousands of people are working with this every day. And that, that's cool to see such a problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, so that there's within Microsoft, there's many applications of this game theory agenda, but yeah. also even more broadly, you see people reason about it when they want to understand like you know, warfare, so mm -hmm. uh, sort of the famous prisoner's dilemma about mm -hmm. uh, uh, whether we should try to attack one another or, uh, you know, hawk and dove type games. Mm -hmm. so, so you can use mm -hmm. it to reason in the political arena. Mm -hmm. You can use it to reason about uh, information and social networks. Mm -hmm. uh, are people going to eventually learn the truth uh, and, and what sort of structures of social networks will enable people to learn the truth. Mm, mm. Uh, you can look at it in recommendation systems and things like that. So mm. can we get people to explore different uh, agendas and or different, say, like, you know, you want to have a recommendation for movies mm. and you need people to explore different movies. Mm. Uh, so you have to make recommendations that might be suboptimal for them because you need them to explore that movie or mm. Mm. routes in a driving network, like mm. in Waze or, mm. or Google Maps and all this mm. stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's really infiltrates our entire lives. I would presume that not everybody is familiar with and I would benefit from a, a definition of game theory and before we start more on how we use it, how would you describe it for the lay person, right? Yeah, that's a good question. So game theory is uh, a study of how, of the outcomes of human interactions. Mm -hmm. um, and so each human, which we often call an agent, mm -hmm. uh, so this, it, you know, it could mm -hmm. be a human, it could be a machine, mm -hmm. but there, there's an independent actor that has mm -hmm a personal objective function that they're trying to optimize, like mm. maybe their wealth, for example. Mm. And uh, then there's a set of actions that mm. this person can take within mm. the context of the game. Mm. Um, and you know, th there's the question of what scope do you want the game to encompass? Is it mm. their entire life or is mm. it like, their shopping behavior at the supermarket, mm. right? But within whatever scope you define for your game, mm. there's a set of different actions that mm. the agent can take. Mm. And other agents in the system also are taking actions mm. at the same time. 
Mm. And then the outcome uh, for the individual uh, is going to be a function of the action that they chose and the actions that the other people chose mm -hmm. and perhaps some underlying state of nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's going to give them uh, some value for the uh, objective function that they were trying to optimize. Mm -hmm. And so game theory looks at uh, equilibria mm -hmm. in which everybody is performing the action that is best for themselves given mm -hmm. what they know about the world mm -hmm. and what they expect other people to be doing. And in robotics we have this additional problem of, of the, in the signal, the data we get being very fussy, there is also delay because some agent out there in this field is taking a decision and you're taking a decision at a particular time but you don't know each other's decisions because that information might not come at all to each other, but it might come also with a delay. So at a certain time, we both took a decision and a time in the future, that information is then shared between us. And then we have to not only take a decision today, but also predict what are the other people going to do, right? Yeah, so you're getting a little bit into the notion of a dynamic uh, game. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. games that evolve over time, mm -hmm. these are, traditionally like they're really much harder than standard games mm -hmm. than simultaneous move games mm -hmm. because i can do things like you know punish you if you take an action today mm -hmm. tomorrow i threaten to punish you if mm -hmm. you did something today that i don't like yeah 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 if, 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 if for instance the employer doesn't pay the employee the employee would say i won't show up for work right right yeah and of course the employer knows this uh, so this is kind of a known Thing, right because the employer knows that if I don't do this there's a consequence Correct. there's also the things that you don't know happen because of your actions and then you have to try to learn from them right is this also something that it's a dynamic but also maybe kind of a machine learning thing that oh okay I tried that and had this consequence and I won't do that again or yeah, so this depends a little bit on how you model the information or the knowledge that mm. the agent has when he chooses his actions. Mm. Um, and so in a repeated game, you could take a Bayesian approach in which you model this information set with some distribution, some mm. prior. Mm. And when an action is taken and the agent observes the outcome, mm. they might update their prior about the value of that action. And so in a sense, they're learning over time what the, like, benefits of different actions are. Because that's, in a simulated game, and as you say, as a turn-based game where I do one thing, everybody knows I did it, and then somebody else does another thing. This is kind of a simulation, if you say. But when we come out to real-world uh, real robotics, that isn't possible because information takes time to disseminate, and it disseminates very unpredictably. So yeah. it becomes more closer to the real-world application. We talked about this bidding and auction site. When I bid, I don't actually immediately know what somebody else does, what somebody else is considered doing, right? Correct, but mm. you might know something about like the sort of distribution of the value they have mm. for that thing mm. that you're bidding for. Mm which then you can infer if you like, if this is the sort of the set of values they might have, then this is the set of bids they might make. Mm -hmm. And if you can sort of think about the probability with which they make each bid, and mm -hmm. then you can try to optimize your action and expectation over the bids of that other person. Mm -hmm. So this is typically how we deal with 
like sort of unknown information. Yeah, yeah very interesting because of course the, the 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 prediction is a whole another layer of a problem on top of the first problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. So you use this in 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 many times. Do you see outside Microsoft? You you see what what's the state of research in the field? Because of course you're more intimately familiar with this than most, right? Yeah, um, there's a lot of things going on in the field right now. So uh, there's a lot of interest of incorporating data into mm -hmm. uh, the design of markets. Um, so, you know, can I observe as, as the market designer, can mm -hmm. I look back at the past and see uh, what agents did and use that to update my design today mm -hmm. such that it's more optimal? So can mm -hmm. I learn the optimal design using say samples of the bids from the past mm -hmm. and this gets a little bit complicated if the bidders themselves also persist throughout time in the mm -hmm. same system because mm -hmm. then they'll start to reason like oh this person is using my bid to re-optimize the auction so maybe i should bid low so they think that all the values are low Right. It becomes so, a very messy thing, yeah. messy feedback loop, everything feeds yeah. back to everything. That's a very interesting facet of this because this, of course, uh, more or less already happens when the human, I mean, we've all bought something on an action site like eBay or something, and we all try to say, what should I bid? When should I bid? So we're already trying to do that, guessing what the person on the other side of the screen is trying yeah. to do, right? So do you see, um, what is our state of of knowledge about that facet of this problem. Do we know how to handle that or is this? Um, I mean, there's a bunch of different theories and uh, there's a bunch of, you know, startups or, or mainstream companies that mm. are implementing things in different ways. It's, uh, I'd say it's a very active area of research. Because mm -hmm. um, again, we're coming closer and closer to a real world or, or, or a, a more realistic way of saying the problem, right? The yeah. turn by turn, everybody knows everything. It's 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 a not very realistic a model of the real world, right? No, no, it's mm. not. Um, uh, so we use this in this area. Do we? Can you tell me anything about an area that you were very surprised that we used it in? Um, well, I, before we get to that, I, I do want to sort of push back a little bit on the yeah, unrealistic. Uh, Absolutely, that's exactly right? what like, the show is about, right? So I would say that it's highly valuable to abstract away key elements and mm. it might be uh, unrealistic sounding the assumptions we make mm. like for example that an agent has a well-defined utility function or, mm. or this op, op mm. this objective I was mm. talking about right mm. uh, and that they understand which actions are going to optimize it mm. um, you might disbelieve that they're able to simultaneously find mm. these equilibria and mm. there's some research in that direction mm. suggesting that it's computationally difficult mm -hmm. in a worst case setting. But mm -hmm. the thing is that like all these abstractions mm -hmm. and you know, I'm a theoretician, so mm -hmm. I, I live in abstractions mm -hmm. and abstractions are very mm -hmm. useful for understanding the world. They give mm -hmm. us a lens mm -hmm. that allow us to focus in on a specific aspect and understand mm -hmm. uh, how like perturbing that aspect would impact the outcome. And, mm -hmm. and it might t not tell us like exactly what we should do in a given situation, but it'll mm -hmm. give us some intuitions like, oh, this is really important. Mm. Um, so, for example, uh, another area of my research is looking at social networks and trying mm. to understand how information spreads in social networks. Mm. Uh, so, I have some sort of model of how mm. an agent might uh, behave in mm. response to information around him. And I ask, okay, so 
uh, if an agent is perform it, like absorbs information in this way, mm-hmm. under what conditions will eventually everyone in the society learn the truth about the world? Mm-hmm. And what I can observe is that it's very important to have a social network structure that is both sparse in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, there's no agent is too central to like listened to in a sense, mm-hmm. and also expansive. Mm-hmm. So in the sense, and this is a technical graph theoretic term, expansiveness, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what it basically means is that uh, everybody is able to uh, transmit information to everybody else without too much uh, effort. Mm. So like there's no cliqueishness, there's no ah, sort yeah, of yeah. closed communities that mm. don't listen to the outside world. Ah, okay, so, so everybody can reach everybody and, and, and everybody's capability of reaching everyone at the same time is limited, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's truly a very flat landscape in this case because Everybody's got access to everyone, but it is, yeah, it's flat from that perspective, huh? Yeah, so uh, these are sufficient conditions for the mm. uh, nice outcome that I described, mm. and they actually tend to be realistic in uh, social networks. So, mm. you know, you don't have more than, what, 500 friends on Facebook, right? Mm. Like, like mm. Are people that you actually know and listen to on mm. Facebook. So, mm. so in a sense, you're pretty limited in... Uh, how many people you influence mm. in social media mm. and at the same time like there's a lot of trails a lot of paths mm. from you outside your little subgroup for instance Facebook is limited to 500 friends uh, you can then have other forms of followers and most social network is networks are limited to some extent right it might be 5,000 it might be 30,000 sure and I mean even if the technology doesn't limit you like human cognition limits you mm, mm. the bandwidth simply of, yeah. of dealing with your flow I mean we, we, we see that on Twitter maybe where you have quite a number some I follow a lot of people and and, and some people do uh, and, and I see that 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 poses a challenge, yeah? Yeah. I love Twitter, but it's also a challenge to deal with, right? Yeah, you can't like just be reading your Twitter feed all day long. <laughs> well, even if I did, I would still miss 99%, right? But at the same time, I, I think that this is something I, 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 I understood when somebody talked about Twitter a long time ago, why they liked it, was it felt like a um, town square. Anybody could go there. You followed a lot of people. And the, as you said, there was no clickishness. There was no clu- closed groups. Um, because on a town square, of course, anybody that, that can go there, can, wants to go there, can go there. Right. Uh, so this characterizes the different network. It, it makes the networks fundamentally different. Are you fully open, any number of followers, any number of connections? Or are you really closed, like a group that you have to apply for? Do you see? Different, what, okay, I, I would presume you see different effects on the communication between these people on these different platforms, right? Sure, in our mathematical models, mm. we can see like if you had a whole bunch of clo- completely closed groups, mm. then I, it's sort of obvious there's no way for information to spread from one closed group to another closed mm. group if they're f- like absolutely have mm. no open doors, right? Mm. And so as a result, one closed group might just happen for random chance to mm. believe you know, statement A, mm. and the other group will believe statement B, and they'll never converge mm. to they, a they, common they, ground truth. No, they will never share enough information yeah. to, because we, do, we, we talk about 
these agents convincing themselves that by reading and taking care of taking taking in material they will develop their own point of view right right mm-hmm. very interesting again back to this this area we've seen it in markets we've seen it in social networks uh, as you have a greater knowledge of the area where do you see this being applied where you were surprised that they could use it game theory in general yeah. um I guess like, you know, I've always thought about game theory as my way of understanding the world around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I pretty much apply it to everything in my life. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Relationships and Give everything. us a few examples. Uh, the relationship what, part is cool. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I was a little surprised how well it explained the world to me was uh, using sort of game theory to explain uh, behavior that's not optimal. So ah, very interesting. Uh, right? There's this one theory that I really like about procrastination, mm. um, where you can explain y- using game theory why agents procrastinate. What mistake mm. are they making when they procrastinate? Mm. And the mistake that they're making is that they're overweighting today's costs in comparison to tomorrow's costs. So uh, mm. the sort of discounting they do for the future is incorrect from a technical perspective but mm. uh, when they when they take when they make this mistake what mm. the outcome is that they end up procrastinating so <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool yeah um, a cost we pay closer a, sla- a smaller cost we pay closer is feels larger than a, a smaller cost we pay in the future right yeah and, yeah our perception is kind of skewed that way yeah. yeah, this is so so interesting to see because you have an intuitive feel, having immersed yourself in the field for a long time, you have an intuitive feeling for where there's something funny going on. Uh, and we all know this, when, when there is a, a field, we operate in a field we know, we can immediately tell what's out of bounds, what's out of the norm. And do you have any other nice example there? You said relationships, that's always interesting because <laughs> most people can relate to it, right? Yeah, um, I guess, you know, for relationships, I think about uh, there, it's, it's sort of a negotiation, mm-hmm. right? You, you want to com- you want you need to compromise to have mm-hmm. a successful relationship. Yeah, and so you think about what you can give up mm-hmm. in order to gain. Uh, and it's particularly sort of uh, relaxing to think about relationships in a very logical fashion. So mm. you don't end up getting mad at somebody when they ask for or having an emotional reaction when mm. they ask for something mm. unreasonable. If you mm. think about it as a negotiation strategy mm. and mm. and you can think, oh, that makes sense in the space of uh, trying to reach a compromise. Mm. So. And what I think is also that that the fun part of, of relationships aside, this teaches us about being human. And whatever we learn about being human also teaches us valuable things when we do other things, right? Because if we don't understand ourselves as humans, we can't design systems that are compatible with us. Sure. And we have to look at ourselves the way we actually are, not the way we wish we were, or we hope we were, or we think we are even. So that's that's kind of funny. I like that. Uh, And uh, uh, having been in a relationship for a while, there's certainly a negotiation. I also see that you develop a lot over time. Your your attitude really changed when you when you think more about this interaction when you have with this person for a long time, right? Right. Yeah, and 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 and, and that's that's fascinating, right? 
where are we in, I mean, I know game theory has been something that's been studied for quite some time, right? I mean, this is an area that's a couple of decades, a handful of decades old, right? In um, mathematics. At least, yeah. Yeah, at least, right? <laughs> uh, where are we now? I mean, this kind of fundamental mathematical research takes time to trickle down into practical applications, although we see this in your bidding and, and optimizing thing. Where are we on the scale of this? Are we a mature field that is that where there's reasonably easy to derive practical knowledge, or is it still lots of basic research needed? Or uh, I'm particularly interested in informing practice, and mm. I think that we're really at a point where we can do a lot of that. Um, you see this in a lot of public uh, forums, like there were the FCC spectrum license au mm. auctions. Mm. There's the school choice programs where we mm. match school children to public school seats. Mm. Um, there's the uh, labor markets that I discussed in the beginning, mm. kidney exchange. All mm. these sorts of things are really uh, able to make an impact today because mm. we have such deep knowledge of the theory. But of course, mm. they develop hand in hand. So mm. For example, like, you know, we're starting to understand more in the theoretical realm mm -hmm. about if you want to match uh, multiple agents to multiple agents. So, mm -hmm. so maybe, uh, for example, you have cadet branch matching in the United States and you mm -hmm. need to match a cadet mm -hmm. to programs that, the, uh, that they will enter uh, in the army and they mm -hmm. need to have several of them that are uh, adjacent to each other. So, mm -hmm. so they have preferences over the bundles of the programs they might end up in. Mm -hmm. And how can I do this combinatorial matching? So mm -hmm. there's some theory that was developed. Uh, and as soon as it was developed, uh, people realized that it could be applied to this setting. Um, mm -hmm. Another example is affirmative action like things mm -hmm. in school mm -hmm. choice. Like how do we manage to get our schools to be uh, integrated in a way that we feel comfortable with as a society? Mm -hmm. um, how can I alter the algorithms in order to get them to acknowledge the uh, diversity of an incoming class. Mm. And so this required some theoretical research and uh, investigations of the pros and cons of enforcing this in different ways. And, and then we uh, can see it in practice as well. So what I understand is that the field is now mature enough and the, the basic tools are mature enough and the basic understanding is mature enough for us to actually come with a problem and then try to look at if we can use these technologies to solve them, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And if I then, I am something that, I am somebody with a problem, um, which means I'm probably not related <laughs> to the field as it is. I have, through this description, heard that I have this problem, I need to optimize, I need to really know that I take, as for instance, the, the school thing. Um, I have a business like that, I have run a community service like that. How do I get started? How do I train myself so that when I come to you, I can ask s sensible questions, right? Yeah, I guess there's two aspects to that question. Mm -hmm. One is you as a participant in the system and one mm -hmm. is you as a designer of the system. Mm -hmm. So let me answer both. I mm -hmm. think maybe you were more asking the latter, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, both is perfectly fine <laughs> with so, me. So uh, I think the thing I really want society to learn uh, from game theory mm. is that their actions have impact on their outcome mm. and but the way that that uh, impact mm. uh, the path that that impact takes mm. is that my action impacts your action mm. 
And so when I'm optimizing, I have to think about how what I'm doing is going to affect what other people do in the world around mm -hmm. me and how what they do is going to thereby affect what outcome I get. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's this there's this sort of extra step that I think a lot of people forget to take, which mm -hmm. is sure what I do is going to impact uh, how happy I am, yeah. but it's also what I do is going to impact what other people do, which impacts how happy I am. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and as for the second thing which you yeah. asked, which was yeah. as a designer, how can I set up a system that performs mm. well? Mm. Like you have to be the sort of all seer that's that's taking this perspective into your mind that mm. like the rules that I construct are going to impact how people act mm. and how they interact. Mm. Uh, and so you should, if you want to make it more formal, you should think about what is the thing I'm trying to achieve here? Like, mm. do I want people to end up with uh, positions that they value highly? Do I want mm. uh, to have diversity within uh, subgroups? You know, wh what's your objective? You, mm. you could have many. Do I mm. want to maximize revenue, mm. right? Mm. Uh, mm. And once you think of an objective, then you can uh, ask how the rules will uh, cause people to act to achieve your objective as well as their own. Very interesting because I think that if we could get more uh, interest in organizations and in companies and in society in general of using these now well-established ways of optimizing situations, we could all get a better outcome in more situations, That's right? That's true, yes. Yeah, because we, I, I think you can say that with certain confidence that these technologies applied in the right way will lead to more of what whoever designed the system prefers, right? Right, and yeah. I really think that this is a robust way to do that. Mm, uh, mm. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, ideas around in the world that like, well, we should all just care about everyone around us and mm. we should optimize not for ourselves but for our communities mm. which uh, in turn is optimized for for us too right it so. could it mm. but the thing is like if you set the rules up such that mm. when i optimize for myself i mm. also optimize for the community mm. it mm. would just be so much simpler to live in that world because i don't have to try and think about what's best for the community mm. i just have to think about what's best for myself mm. and i know myself very well much mm. better than i know the community and mm. so thereby i can act in a way that's best for myself and the rules have been constructed such mm. that it's also best for the community mm. so somehow it, it just becomes so much more uh, you know robust to misinformation and things like this in one way i relate to setting up this show and doing the show in the way i do it ha having no agenda uh, talking to a broad range of people i love this i'm curious by nature and by unfair an un, 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 unobstructed habit, right? Um, and it's also so that I, I think, as ha having done it this way, I also see the feedback from the community being very strong in the fact that they like, they, they, researchers as yourself see that I do this and I get so many suggestions from prior interviewees and it, it, I just see this, exactly what you're saying, I optimized for what I prefer but it also suited the community perfectly and it just gets a very strong um, uh, positive feedback loop you can say, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you get positive feedback and is that, is that a way of characterizing these systems that if when you get positive feedback from whatever you do, right? You, you lower the price, more people buy your product, you, you do it this way, you get more interaction or something. Is positive feedback a receipt that you're doing it right or? 
Uh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I guess uh, you could you could look at it that way. So what I like to think about it is as growing the pie. Like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's more wealth. You know that w- mm-hmm. we've created more value in the world. Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, just a larger piece of pie to divide up among the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you could think about the positive feedback as. Uh, the pie growing. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. seeing that the pie is growing as you mm-hmm. get more viewers on the system, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. because the pie has grown, it, the, this show has generated more value in mm-hmm. society. It means that there's more value to be had by each individual. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Because that's actually a thing. Say that I, I am, I run some form of a system. It might be a communal service. It might be a company, um, and I have done this. How do I know whether? How do I know how to improve it, and how do I know whether I'm doing the right thing? How can I study what I've done, and and then, of course, in the next step, take steps to improve it? Yeah, I, you can run experiments, and this mm. is actually a lot of companies are doing this these days. Uh, you know, you try to change a rule, mm. see how people react to this change in your mm. system, and measure whatever outcome you're trying to optimize, and see did it improve or did it did it fall behind. Mm. Now, of course, this is a little bit like a blind search. You're just Mm. changing rules arbitrarily. Mm. If you start to learn game theory or consult with Mm. economists or market Mm. designers, Mm. then you can have some guidance as to which rules might have which effect. And then Mm. you, you can narrow down your search onto the Mm-hmm. Slightly more intelligent than those yeah. random throwing things at it and hoping it works, yeah. right? One thing that's tricky in this field is like running these experiments. Um, you often think, okay, I'll take half my customers and try to do thing A instead of thing B. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a system like, say, an auction, maybe I take half my customers and I decide to set a different reserve price for them than mm-hmm. the other half of the customers. Mm-hmm. But they interact with each other through the same auction. So mm-hmm. even though I, I might hope that my treatment on this one group isn't affecting this other group, it really is because mm-hmm. of this fact that we all interact, that my actions affect your actions, affect my actions, affect the True. equilibrium, affect the outcome. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's in absurdum, in, in abnormal, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to do a valid experiment in this world. Yeah, and that's challenging, of course, because we can't just keep throwing darts at the board and 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 if it's then challenging to find to find a, a, a proper experiment that, that that we kind of have a reason for for running this particular one so there is a problem there how do we identify those and how do we isolate in this a b test how do we isolate a group that's challenging yeah. right one thing you can do is try to find a group that's naturally already isolated so mm. for example new zealand mm. <laughs> is often used for uh, as an experimental base for companies like microsoft mm. because it's a fairly closed community mm. they don't uh, you know think if you do something in new zealand it's mm. not going to affect pretty much anyone else. No, no. So <laughs> yeah, I know New Zealand is, po- I didn't know that, but uh, I know that Iceland is popular among geneticists because it, they're so yeah. well tracked yeah. because they have this very long history of, of writing down who's who's the mom and dad of who's the, the, who's the <laughs> child and uh, finding those niches. So what you do, what you have to do to be successful is finding your New Zealand, whatever is New Zealand for your uh, that's one domain. Way. That, that's one way to be successful. Mm-hmm. The other way is to try and track how the uh, 
like how, how the actions or how the treatment on this group will affect this untreated group, the control group over here. Okay. Uh, so that is possible in some settings, and that's actually uh, the frontier of research in uh, econometrics, which is not mm. what I do, but mm. like a lot of people are trying to understand this so-called network effects. Mm. Like how does the network of the participants uh, cause the treatment to infiltrate the control to, and can we can we un, if we can understand the mm. process by which that happens mm. we can sort of uh, ex post remove the taintedness from the control ah, we can group. clean the signal so we yeah, do this in electronics exactly. all the time because the the dirt is kind of known we it, yeah. can remove it yeah. right and then get a, a cleaner signal and, and then take better decisions, right? Yes, yes. So even if you don't have a New Zealand, you could try to do things of that You nature. can artificially do that, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Thank you very much for sharing this information. It's been fantastic to talk about game theory. One of my uh, game theory and emergent properties have interested me for more than 20 years, right? <laughs> and it's, thank you so much for sharing, your, uh, sharing this and taking the time to do an interview. Thank you. It's been great. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.